Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 177 of the Chills at Will podcast. What a pleasure today to be joined by Laura Worrell. And here's a bit about Laura. She's a contributor to the Bread Loaf Writers Conference and the Tin House Summer Workshop and is a graduate of the Creative Writing Program at Vermont College of Fine Arts. Her work has appeared in the HuffPost, The Rumpus, and the Los Angeles Review of Books, among other publications. Sweet, Soft, Plenty Rhythm was published in September 2022 and has been rightly lauded since. The book is a finalist for the Penn Faulkner Prize for Fiction, the Penn Faulkner Prize for Fiction. It's a great read, and it'll be the, the main focus of our conversation today. Laura, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm very good and very excited to be here. It's fun to uh, to be talking about the book again. It's been a, a little while since I've been yeah. able to, so thanks. Did you have kind of a rush when it came out, like of, of like interviews and podcasts and stuff? You know, I did. I had a lot of interviews, a lot of podcasts. There was... Fortunately, a lot of attention and buzz around the book. Um, and then I've been going to a lot of uh, book festivals, including yeah. this year. Um, so I've been talking a lot about the book. But now that I'm here talking to you, I realize it's been about a month or two. Mm. Um, so there was like a flurry of activity for quite a long time, actually. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's nice to just be sitting here talking to you about it. It's great to talk to you. I usually ask this towards the end, but like with the book coming, with the book being out for a while, and like you said, having a little bit of a pause, like, are you, I don't know if you're working on something else. Is it somewhere like it takes you a little bit of recall to even like think about the book? Like you've, not that you've moved on, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But like, is, is it tough to kind of recall? Is it something like you're, you're immersed in another project right now, maybe or projects? Not necessarily. Um, it's a, it's an interesting question though. I, I am working on the next book. You literally caught me on a day where I'm struggling with it yesterday. I was like, <laughs> this is the greatest thing ever. And today I'm like, do I start over? It's just the nature of the beast with this oh, work. Man. But, um, but, you know, I think that you know, as writers, well, I won't speak for other writers. I have spent so much time with that book and, and with mm -hmm. those characters. It didn't necessarily take me a long time to write. Um, I know writers who've, you know, especially their debut debuts took them a decade or, or mm -hmm. longer. Um, it's more just that I really, as a writer, prioritize character. Um, I enjoy really getting into my characters and getting to know who they are. And so I know them really well. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. the story really well. I, I remember everything about it. I mean, I, I can't recall specific lines necessarily, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, it, it was such a huge part of my life for so long. Um, even after the first draft, I revised it. I don't even know how many times I revised it over the course of the life of the book and then getting the agent and then, you know, so, 
so it's it's in here. Um, mm. I think it'll be years before I have trouble remembering <laughs> some of the details, but it's it's great. And you know, it's funny. I I think of the characters mm. like they were real people. I'll hear a song um, that reminds me of them, um, mm. and uh, so they're they're like real people. Those were real experiences that I had writing those stories. So yeah. it's 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 easy to remember. That's so cool to hear because the reader definitely gets that experience. I mean, a lot of characters and, but you pull it off. I mean, they are all, they are, they're all memorable, even if they're, mm -hmm. you know, kind of bit players, if you will, mm -hmm. they're so memorable. But yeah. In, in the hands of a lesser writer, it could have, you know, it could have been troublesome, but just so many people think, you know, Peach, Peach mm -hmm. wasn't, Peach doesn't kind of disappears after, I don't know, halfway through the bookish. Right. But like what an interesting character, like some of those scenes and, Yes. Her, her kind of like looking in the mirror and, you mm -hmm. know, uh, I mean, so many interesting characters. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Great. Well, thank you for the compliment. I appreciate it. Of course. It. I would love to know kind of going back, like where, where it all started. I mean, if you've been um, a reader ever since, you know, from the jump, um, where writing came in, who, you know, what were you reading like as a kid and as an adolescent? Yeah. So I was... I came to writing before I came to reading, actually. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I know I'm not alone in this, uh, but I, you know, started learning to write sentences and words, you know, at five or six, however old you do that. Sure. And I immediately started writing stories. I started writing books. Um, I wrote a book called The Little Cat. And then I wrote a book called The Little Train. I was really into little, okay. <laughs> little things. And, um, you know, I, I don't think my mother still has them. She had them for a while. Um, but they were, you know, I didn't really know how to spell and the words were all strange and lopsided like children's <laughs> words are, but I was attempting to write stories and I never stopped. Um, one of the things that's been really fun um, and quite rewarding for me during this journey with this book coming out um is all of these people from every era of my life coming forward to congratulate me and mm. show up and come to my events and buy the book. And I think it's mm. because, you know, everybody who has ever known me, including when I was in, you know, eight years old, I was writing something. And uh, so it was always there. Um, and then, of course, I, I, I read a lot too. Um, and I think I really became... You know, I was never like an avid reader. You know, there's so many writers who were like, yes, I, you know, I, I, you couldn't, I always had a book in my hand and that wasn't necessarily true of me. I was always reading something. Uh, and, you know, in high school, I discovered, you know, Alice Walker was probably the first sort of literary novel that I read. I mean, I was reading silly things. I was reading a lot of Jackie Collins novels, you know, in high school, because I was, you know, hormonal and boys didn't like me. So I had to live vicariously through fiction. Um, and, uh, and then I think I discovered Alice Walker. And then I went through a Kerouac phase, mm. um, obviously, Toni Morrison, um, Kurt Vonnegut, I'm actually looking right now at my shelf. Mm. Um, so a lot of the those American writers that I think in high school and college you you first come across and maybe hook you. Mm -hmm. So um so those were those were the first 
sort of writers. And then I discovered um, at some point, uh, Milan Kundera, who wrote The Invariable mm. Lightness of Being. Um, and he became one of my favorites as well. Um, so, you know, literary writers who really try to explore ideas and and do something interesting with language. Um, those are the writers that I, I really gravitated toward. Hmm. I don't know if I if I read it somewhere or I heard it on one of the interviews with you, but it sounds like you wanted to be a movie star growing up. I did, yeah. I <laughs> it, it was a funny thing. I was always writing. It, it was kind of bizarre to me to recall this because I never chose to be a, a writer. Mm. I never thought, oh, maybe I'll be a writer. I just wrote. It was a thing I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, like I go to school and I ride my bike and I write stories, you know, isn't everybody doing the same thing? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I wanted to be an actress. I was actually, um, I auditioned for something in maybe seventh grade. And, mm -hmm. and then I went to a school in high school where half the day you were at school and the other half of the day you were in a theater program. And I mm -hmm. won an award. This was in Columbus, Ohio. So hey. I wasn't, <laughs> you know, but uh, so I was really serious. And then I went to college and I was going to major in, in theater. Um, and then I think I sort of realized, I don't think I'm as cool as these actors are, you know, and I'm not like, uh, I don't think I like this much attention, mm. you know, or at least not in the way that, that it seemed my peers did, you know, yeah. I, I think I'm not, I'm, I'm an extrovert, mm. but I don't need people to stare at me all the time, sure. Sure, <laughs> you know, sure, and sure. I think I felt like um, a little too exposed and a little too much like I was Hmm. It wasn't working as, as well for me. And I think I also was probably a little scared about that life as an actor, you know, hmm. Um, hmm. having a book rejected is absolutely no fun, but standing in front of, you know, a handful of people who say, no, thanks. I don't know if I would have right. had the stomach or had the the courage, whatever you want to call it for that. So, right. um, and I think I just kind of, you know, when I was when I was a girl and living in Ohio, Ohio wasn't very exciting. And so um, acting and being in theater and watching movies all the time was a way to envision a more exciting life. But I think ultimately it wasn't really wasn't really my bag. Sure. Well, I mean, I've heard that Columbus, Ohio is like the Hollywood of the Midwest, isn't it? Seriously? Really? No. I'm going back. <laughs> no. Yeah, um, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it's it's funny, it's Ohio is a, a good place to be from, like, I'm glad to be from there. Sure. Uh, I've still got that Midwestern spirit. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely wasn't the place to like, shoot for the stars and catch them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, you know, you think of like, kind of like the literary stars. And I mean, there's a whole discussion about whether that's still a thing, you know, like, mm -hmm. back to like, um, you know, like Hemingway, you know what I mean? Yeah. He was, people knew him, whether they were readers or not. Um, right. You know, you know, Baldwin, you know, was right. kind of like the frustrated, you know, all the, like the frustrated writer and the one with the cigarette and the one yeah. who you could tell was just pumping out incredible content and, right. you know, just really um, agonizing over it. You know, um, you know, more Tony Morrison, like you talk about, I think of like, uh, I don't know, maybe Joan Didion. Mm -hmm. So who, as you got older, college and beyond, who were you reading inspired by, and and then kind of like what was there like a, a eureka moment or moments where you're like, I can do this. I I'm good at this. People have given me positive feedback, that kind of thing. You know, it's interesting that you say that um, 
the first point, um, I, I'm very conscious or, or I think a lot about when I was um, a kid and I would watch talk shows, even like Letterman and stuff would have authors, mm. you know, like regularly authors would be on. I uh, feel like uh, Tim, Tom, no, why do I always, I always mess it, not Tom Robbins, but the guy who wrote Bonfire of the Vanities. Whose oh, name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Wolf. Wolf. Tom Wolf. Yeah. yeah. Um. I remember he was on Letterman a bunch, and yeah. you know what I mean. Like it's yeah. it's interesting. I think you're absolutely right that even if you're not a reader, or at least even if you weren't a reader back in the day, mm-hmm. you knew who this guy was. Um. Sure. And it it does sort of feel like authors aren't holding the public's attention in the way uh, that they used to. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um. Yeah. So once I got into college, um, you know, like I said, I don't remember a significant shift. I don't remember like, I know what I'll do. I think I just sort of smoothly let the acting go. Like I was, I was an acting major the first year mm-hmm. and then, um, but I was taking writing classes and just kind of let the acting classes go and stuck with the, with the writing. Um, and I'm trying to remember authors who, I read back then, unfortunately, it was a very long time ago, but I mean, Toni Morrison for sure is, was, and will always be, mm-hmm. you know, an inspiration on so many different levels. Uh, when I got my MFA, I studied her one semester, just really stuck with her and tried to figure out the mechanics of how she she did what she did. Mm-hmm. You know, Toni Cade Bambara, it's a, it's a funny thing because I, I went the school where I went, I was able to get a multidisciplinary degree that I designed. Oh, wow. And I thought that was a pretty cool thing to do. I felt very, you know, in control of my education in a way that felt very rewarding. But now I can't recall anything I actually had to read. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think it's because I, I mean, there wasn't an English major there. So I don't think, I think a lot of the programs that I've been in have been so focused on writing, um, but I really want to think of, sure. I don't remember. I re- Okay, well, I remember I was reading some, I was trying to write something pretty sexy mm. and I had um, a, a, no, no not, not like literary <laughs> sexy. Okay, okay. okay. And um, I, I had a, a mentor who gave me a book called Candy. Um, also something by the Marquis de Sade. Not that I was going in that direction with what I was uh, writing. Um, I don't know why he was necessarily giving me that, but um, for some reason he did. Terry Southern, is that right? Yeah, I think it's Terry Southern. Yeah, maybe that is it. It's a weird, if this is it, they've given it a very weird cover now. Maybe Mason Hoffenberg and Terry Southern? Those are the collections of, of books that I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henry Miller, Okay. Uh, was somebody who who I kind of discovered in college and was inspired by uh, Marguerite Dura, hmm. um, was somebody that I loved and still love. Um, uh, I read a little Anais Nin. Hmm. Um, I, I sort of have a fascination with with European and uh, international writers. Obviously, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Yeah. I discovered then and. 100 Years of Solitude, like many people, is still just like one of the, the peak. all time. Yeah, just yeah. Uh, so I think, you know, I, I don't necessarily have as many 
sort of off the beaten track writers that I was introduced mm -hmm. to in college. I think that my, um, my mentors were really trying to help us read this sort of canon yeah, yeah, yeah. and um or canon adjacent work and that's sure. that's what i was reading you did you did teaching at berkeley college of music right mm -hmm. yes and so like i get this this could be one question or you could see it as two i wonder i'm just so interested in the idea of like creativity begetting other creativity right mm -hmm. and just like uh you know the idea of the muse or muses and so I wonder about like with this particular book, if if this book started at Berkeley College and or, you know, I just wonder about how teaching, I assume you're teaching like a mm -hmm. literature or writing class, right? That's right. Yes. I mean, I, I just I don't know much about Berkeley. I thought of it as strictly music, music, mm -hmm. you know, sound. Or, yeah. So like, I just wonder about how that, you know, was a catalyst for your creativity, was a catalyst for this book and kind of how teaching there kind of informed your your writing and your writing style. It's a really good question. And and interesting enough, I haven't been asked that a lot, even though they they put it in my bio from, from mm -hmm. the get-go. I haven't really been asked a lot about it. Um, so yes, uh, Berkeley is, you know, for the people who don't know, in fact, I was just talking about it and somebody mentioned Berkeley and I was like, oh, you you know Boston? And they're like, no, I'm talking about Berkeley. Yeah, not like, oh, wait, no, there's actually another <laughs> Berkeley. So the Berkeley College of Music um, is a four-year university, and for sure, it's mm. all about music and sound and um, audio work, uh, mm. art, arts. Um, but they have to do like a regular degree. So they have general education requirements, which okay. include um, literature courses, freshman comp, so and that's what I taught there, freshman comp and, mm -hmm. and and literature. And when I started writing this book, I wasn't yet teaching at Berkeley, mm -hmm. um, but I did know right off the bat that the male character, Circus Palmer, around which the women in the books, the women in the book's life lives yeah. revolve around. Yeah. I knew he was going to be a jazz musician from the get go. There was mm -hmm. no question and as soon as he came to me he was a jazz musician and we were done mm -hmm. um and then a, a year or so into it I started teaching at Berkeley um and there's so many ways that I could describe how Berkeley inspired me I mean mm -hmm. walking through the halls or teaching a class and literally down the hall there's they're playing proud Mary mm -hmm. is just so satisfying i mean the classes themselves went so much better right because this was the environment that we were in yeah. um and i'm also a, a writer who um a writer who i admire steve allman says this a lot um he's a super fan of musicians i am too mm -hmm. if i had a an, another life to live i would have you know done what my mom said and, and paid attention during my piano lessons and become mm -hmm. a musician so um, for sure, I was inspired by that environment. Um, and as far as the book goes, I learned a lot from it. Um, I there There's actually a scene in the book early on where Circus is, um, he's teaching a class and he has a an interaction with a student who's kind of an up and comer, hot shot musician and, and Circus wants to, to bond with the kid and, and have this sort of 
mentor mentee relationship and the kid really isn't taking him that seriously mm. i based that kid on somebody i knew mm. uh one of my students at, at berkeley and then there was uh there were lots of moments that i would be watching these these students in my class whether they were interacting or just during my lectures not paying attention <laughs> to mm. my lectures and doing things that like there was one kid and i've mentioned him a lot because i i this was real i really took this from him I'm lecturing and he's just playing an invisible piano. What? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, and not just like, mm -hmm, but like literally like there was a song and he was playing it on this invisible piano. That's what it looked like <laughs> to me. And so this idea, right. That the music is always in you. Hmm. Um, and maybe that's just me mythologizing a, a craft sure, sure. And, and a type of, of artist that I admire. But um, that's what I took from, from, from the experience at Berkeley, but it was a really lovely kind of perfect dynamic, mm -hmm. right? To be teaching. I wasn't full-time there, but I was, I was there every day. Mm -hmm. um, so I was hearing music. I was getting the vibe of musicians, you know, the energy of musicians. Um, I wouldn't generalize about anybody or particularly any type of artist, but I think I did see enough similarities among musicians that seemed like the distinctive hmm. traits that I could sort of bring into um, the characterizations of, of Circus and, and Maggie, um, who is his, uh, one of his lovers who uh, is a drummer. Um, and uh, so it's the one thing I miss about Boston mm. is I was sort of like, can I bring Berkeley with me? Like, I know yeah. you guys, do you have, can I go to Los Satellite Angeles? Campus and, or something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, it was wonderful teaching and it definitely helped um, mm. flesh out those characters. Mm. I mean, can you believe that people were, were are immersed in something else than our lectures, my lectures as well? Can you believe that? I know, I know. It's like, I'm, this is we riveting. We have so much wisdom, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just funny know. because I think, I mean, I, I sort of t get it. Like, I totally get it. Yes. Like, I know that writing and literature isn't for everybody, but I also just, you sensed at Berkeley, like, mm -hmm. we're all going to be famous. We're all going to be famous yeah. musicians, right? Yeah, so we don't need any of this uh, mm -hmm. extra stuff. And um, I get that energy i was the mm -hmm. same at their age i'm just going to be a famous writer i mean i sure. i still liked studying other things yeah. but uh, i get that mentality <laughs> so i was well, really charmed by them so and i i, I love that the scene with um is it is it panos uh-huh yeah the scene you talked about where the mm -hmm. you know he where where circus is trying to be a mentor mm -hmm. and a mentee and it's he, you know panos is not a jerk but he's definitely apathetic he's kind of like yeah, yeah you know and it's there's so much in that scene. It's it's a fairly short scene, yeah. But it just has a lot of echoes throughout the book, where you know, just this idea of like um, aging, right? I think of it. Yeah. I mean, I was never a high level athlete, but just like you know, as you get older and athletics, the same kind of idea, right? Like, no, I used to be yeah. good. The older I get, yeah. the better I was, type of thing, right? Yeah. And then you feel like when you're having to prove it to somebody, it feels worse. Like you know, and, exactly. and circus, circus has legitimate you know achievements but it's just like right the guy's just like well how many people follow you <laughs> you know yeah social media wise well and i think part of it too with him is and i think this is true of a lot of people maybe of all of us to a certain extent that the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and our lives and who we are in the world and he is 
um, allowing himself to believe or telling himself that he's a successful musician that is mm -hmm. admirable and that these students will be, you know, are excited to be working with him and maybe even lucky to be working with him. Mm -hmm. And there's so much he can do for them. And he's not recognizing. Um, and I think this is unfortunately true for a lot of creative people, like the gap between where you are mm -hmm. and where you could be or where other people are in your field. You know, and this kid Panos is going to probably be pretty successful mm. and sees circus and his life is small. Mm. And it's one of the many uh, moments in the book where someone is reflecting back to circus, um, a, a, an, an image <clears throat> of him that doesn't really jive with the one he has of himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, the title, you know, it's sweet comma soft comma plenty rhythm. Like, it came from a Jelly Roll Morton. Was was it a song or just like a quote? So it was a quote. He was talking about jazz. Um, okay. so it's jazz should be played sweet, soft, plenty rhythm. So that's the way that you would. I I wonder how you would even like the cadence of how you would say it. Is yeah. The commas, the commas that you follow. Okay. Yeah. Why Why jazz? I mean. What 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 is it? It's been said that jazz is like the only true, like the only like holy, holy with a W, the only mm -hmm. holy American style yeah. of music, right? Mm -hmm. Why jazz? I mean, there's a lot in the book about. It's, I mean, it's really interesting too about this idea of you know kind of fading with age or mm -hmm. you know fading is maybe too strong of a word, but you know jazz isn't jazz isn't on the top of the charts these days, right? I mean, it's not the most right. popular music. You know, in the book, it's like ah oh, maybe you can make a good you know living on soundtracks. Maybe mm -hmm. you know we don't have we have Taylor Swift and we have Kendrick Lamar. We don't necessarily have the big jazz right. star. So I guess why jazz? Well, and, and that's exactly, that's exactly why. Mm -hmm. um, I liked the idea, you know, it's funny whenever I have talked about this book, when I was writing the book, when I, as I've been promoting it, when I tell people about it at parties, mm -hmm. they always ask me, Oh, when does it take place? Because for most people, jazz isn't a thing right you know what right. i mean and so they think oh does it take place in the 50s or the 20s mm -hmm. or the whatever else and i liked the idea for this male character that he is devoting his life and making sacrifices and choosing and prioritizing over everything else an art form that for a lot of people it's not true sure. but for a lot of people is a dying art form, or at least one that doesn't really have a lot of relevance in the culture anymore. Yeah. And um, so that was one reason. Um, and and you probably noticed that several characters, um, some of the several of the women characters kind of ask them, well, why do you play jazz? Or who mm. listens to jazz anymore? Or not even sure if they really like it. Mm. Um, and I just want to say I love jazz and I I it, it is still around. There are wonderful jazz musicians who are working today and doing incredible things. But for a lot of people, I, I think, you know, for sure, it doesn't hold the place it used to in the culture. Like we were saying about writers, you know, there was a time that uh, these jazz musicians were on par with the Taylor Swift's of their day. Mm. Right. Now you go to an average American and they probably wouldn't be able to, to name any current jazz musician. So that was one reason. Uh, but the other was I like I, I wanted him to be a musician. Um, I wanted to explore in part, uh, you know, genuine 
substantive yet unhealthy attractions. Hmm. And so if he was just a jerk who, you know, womanized, that wouldn't be that interesting. But to, right. to be someone who like, he's got something going on. He's got something that's really appealing to these characters. He does have something in his life that's really meaningful. And we can understand him, you know, investing so heavily in it. We all get, even if you're not an artist, you understand the desire to devote yourself to a craft. And so that was one of the reasons. And I liked the idea. To me, jazz is one of the most challenging of the genres hmm. uh, to master. Um, the intricacy of it, uh, the collaboration involved. Um, it, it's just, I think it, it achieved a lot as far as fleshing him out as a character mm. uh, and, and creating something that's kind of mysterious to some of these women because jazz is not a part of most of their lives, mm. as well as um, also being what compels them, why they're drawn to him. Well, yeah, I mean, you you create some incredibly memorable characters. Circus Palmer, I mean, he is charismatic. You know, like you said, he's not, you know, he definitely makes, he definitely does a lot of things, some things that are uh, reprehensible, maybe too strong of a word. I mean, yes, he's not mm -hmm. a horrible guy. He has a lot of good going for him. He's, like I said, he's extremely charismatic. You look that up, that word up in the dictionary and there's a picture of him, right? <laughs> right. I mean, you know, the significance at the beginning of the book that he he's turning 40, Mm -hmm. And it's, quote, a predictable time for a certain kind of end to come. I love that mm -hmm. line. Thank you. Right. He's a trumpeter. Um, you know, he he loves women. <laughs> he mm -hmm. lo loves women. I mean, there are, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 women mm -hmm. mentioned, featured, right? Um, you know, flames, some stronger than others. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I think so. And then you very interestingly, you have all women all the narrators are women all the different chapters all the different sections and it's just really interesting about i guess my question is like the initial thought is that the story is centered around circuit you know it's this whole like does the earth revolve around the sun or you know vice versa mm -hmm. i wonder just kind of ideas about like centering the women or circus and how you kind of came to those um to the, the planning of that so i think that we have so many examples of stories about men who are playboys, womanizers. I don't know. Can I cuss on this podcast? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So um, a lot of the younger people who have interviewed me have called Circus a fuckboy. <laughs> um, in, the, in the modern parlance? Yeah, in the modern, modern parlance. <laughs> Although I, from my understanding of fuckboy, I don't think that really fits him, but okay. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we have Don Juan, we have Lotharios, yeah, okay. I mean, Casanova. I mean, it goes mm -hmm. back, back centuries. Mm -hmm. And you know, you turn on Netflix and there's a show about a guy who behaves this way, right? And I think very rarely do we read those stories or watch those stories and see the women presented in ways that reveal their characters. Very often when we read or watch these stories about Casanova's, Lothario's, Don Juan's, fuckboys, mm -hmm. <laughs> they're often told from the perspective of 
the guy, yeah. right? What he's going through, um, any kind of regret he feels or shame he might feel about how he's behaving. Mm -hmm. Very often there's some exploration or hint at whatever traumas he's been through that have made him, turned him into a guy who behaves this way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's all interesting and useful and we've gotten a lot of great literature and art from that. But I think rarely are those stories told in a way that reflects the humanity the nuance, the depth and complexities of the women who are involved mm -hmm. in that guy. And I was reading a book um, about a womanizer and it was told from his perspective and each chapter was told from his perspective. Mm. And the women were, you know, they were interesting characters. They were mm. fleshed out, but they served his plot, right? right? Sometimes they fit into types that we're all very familiar with in those types of narratives, mm. you know, saying the types of things to him that we see women say in those types of narratives. And I just had this moment of feeling like, you know, I want to hear from the women, mm. you know, I want to, um, I want to see what's going on in their lives outside of him. I want to know how, you know, I want to see because I've experienced it right. You know, all women have to some extent. I want to see what it's like when he's not in the room, when he mm -hmm. walks out, you know, I think that uh, very often stories that are told about women fit into nicely packaged categories or they're crazy or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And they don't allow us the dimension um, that that we have especially in stories about relationships and so mm. my goal was i'm going to turn the tables um we're going to get that narrative about that playboy but we're going to we're going to get that narrative from the perspective of the women mm. so each woman has a different chapter some of them have more than one chapter right and the idea is not only this is what this relationship feels like looks like this is the experience of this type of relationship from the woman's perspective, mm -hmm. right? This is how it feels. This is what how she thinks. This is why she's involved. This is how she's traumatized or what's led her to, to, to be in a relationship like this. But it's also, this is who I am outside of this guy. This is what's going on in my life mm -hmm. outside of this guy. And um, so that's where the idea came from. Now, I experimented with not having chapters told from his perspective. There okay. are just a few that are told yeah. from his perspective. Um, and it felt like I needed to do that to so that re readers would get a sense of who he is, mm -hmm. right? So he he needed to, in my mind, have presence in the book. So there are a few chapters told from his perspective. Yeah. Um, and then he's got a daughter, Coco, um, who kind of emerged late in my planning for the book but once she emerged circus kind of became more important right. because she became more important yeah so her story is really about you know a girl who's struggling in a lot of ways in part because of her uh, dysfunctional relationship with her father and once she emerged and became as strong a character as she ultimately became mm -hmm. um, I needed to flesh him out a little bit more because her story really um is rooted in in uh in that relationship with him yeah 
Well, that's really interesting that she came later in your in your planning and your writing of the book because she gets the last word. I mean, she's yeah again without you know without giving away the ending and all that. I'll I'll pr probably say it three or four times, but the yeah. last line of the book is so good, mm, so good. Thank it's you. you know, there's been a lot of a lot of the articles and, and interviews you've done have really been complimentary of your you know it seems like a like musical language. You know, I'm sure mm -hmm. that's a cliche by now, but mm -hmm. that's a that's a great example of just like a a flowing sense. It starts with the word that you know, which mm -hmm. you know you're. Your first grade teacher said, "Don't start a sentence with that." Right. No, no, right. no. Start a sentence with that because yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that last you. buildup. Oh yeah. Nice. Thank you. Beautifully done. The book starts off with with you know Maggie and and Circus together. Maggie's stylish. She's a she's a star of sorts, or she at least plays in the band of a star. Tip mm -hmm. right. Yep. She's, I want to see. She's what late thirties. Um, I see them both as forty. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so there's a great, you know, contrast set up where they're sitting like at the Chase Lounge or whatever uh, down in you know, Miami. And mm -hmm. he, you know, he's he's always chasing, you know, women. Mm -hmm. And he looks and he sees this this woman he later meets is loose. Mm -hmm. you know, she's like 25 and she's dancing. You know, she's young. She's very, yeah. you know, very beautiful. Right. And Maggie, who, as you said, a little bit about her. And she's she's such an interesting character because she's so strong. She knows what she wants. Mm -hmm. Um. But she tells him um, the news and she says, I'm, I'm pregnant. Yeah. And he's out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he, he leaves. Um, yep. Not really sets in motion so much of the book. Yep. From Florida to, you know, kind of like the Massachusetts area, Boston area. Yes. In, in, in building Maggie's character, she she talks. There's a line is, quote. So the difference between Tip and Circus and Tip proposes to her semi seriously. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You think if she would have said yes, would he have would he have gone for it? Or he didn't think she'd say yes. Tip? Yeah. Yeah. Tip. Yeah. So I I see Maggie as um I kind of based her on a woman named Cindy Blackman, who okay. uh, is married to Carlos Santana, has played with uh, Santana. Yeah. She played with Lenny Kravitz. If you remember that video, Are You Gonna Go My Way? The one oh, yeah. the, the afro in the background. Uh, That's who I was sort of basing Maggie on. So uh, I was thinking of her as as that type of musician, that she's like a musician that um, all the other musicians know and admire yeah. and respect, but she's in the background, right? Mm -hmm. So she tours with a Lenny Kravitz-esque kind of character. That's kind of how I saw Tip. Hmm. So I think I saw that scene. So yeah, for sure. What you've said is true. Maggie is incredibly strong-willed. She knows what she wants. Circus to her, you know, she's there's an attraction there. She likes him, but she's one of the women who really doesn't need him, you know? Right, right, right. And so, um, or isn't really... A better way to to say it is she's not all wrapped up and yeah she's not beholden to him right exactly and so I saw the scene where she uh, meets up with Tip they're gonna do a Tip has a show um, in New York and asks Maggie to come and play with him and he does propose and I see him as somebody who like I imagine some of these aging rock stars right mm. who you know they're getting to a point that they've had plenty of women they've had a nice life on the road and. They're thinking of those women who they really can connect with and they they really, you know, uh, feel genuine feelings for. Um, I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's like to be, you know, Lenny Kravitz or any of those mm -hmm. kinds of, of rock stars. But I imagine, you know, that there are moments of, of you know, wanting more meaningful connection yeah. and yeah i think if maggie would have said if if maggie said yes that he would have gone through with it i think he does yeah. 
love her. I think he mm. would now, whether or not he would like spend the rest of his life being faithful and sure. what that marriage would look like. That's a, probably a separate question, but for sure, I think he meant it. Yeah. A great quote from the book is that for Maggie, it was a mis- uh, tip had for her a mysterious link. No, excuse me, the other way around. Circus had a mysterious link to her while it was more ancestral for Tip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just ideas, I guess, of like, I don't know, logical versus visceral. I kind of looked at it like, you know, Tip is family. Mm. You know what I mean? And there, that's a, a specific uh, okay. kind of love. And for sure, a love that could lead to certain kind of passion i guess in romance mm-hmm. um but i think that circus is about is is the passion is the sexiness yeah, it's yeah. The, and i think that she loves or she's drawn emotionally to both of the men and that's what the difference is mm-hmm. like you know 20 years from now um well i mean i i would be giving too much away but i, I could imagine maggie being in both those men being in her life 20 years from now, Mm. but I don't think her relationship with tip is going to change. They're always going to be family. They worked together. They've, they've grown up together. Right. She's, Mm. she's been a part of his posse as he's become this superstar. Mm. And um, so I think it's a, yeah, I think it's, it was a genuine proposal. Well, you know, I mean, there's, there are obviously misogyny in our society that, you know, sees women in so many different ways as aging you know, the same age, a woman mm-hmm. be the same age as a man, but the woman is seen as aging when the man is not, right? Right, right. So, I, so taking that into account, I mean, she's a, you know, quote unquote, aging drummer. Um, yeah. But there's a great scene where she, you know, feels this rhythm as she plays and something's kind of mm-hmm. off, but she feels like a, she feels the rhythm of the of the baby. Right. You know, as she's, as she's playing. Mm-hmm. You, you talked about Coco, who is um, Circus' daughter, and her first scene, she's, getting a tattoo, you know, she's a freshman in high school, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of, I mean, amateur tattoos, she's, you know, trying to fit in with the other girls. Some of them are older, yep. you know, gossip and they're talking about sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's, they're clearly some, they're clearly father figure issues. She, at the time of around 2013, when most of the book takes place, you know, the dad circus had moved out five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, you know, there's this really interesting scenes squeamish, but I mean, as a compliment, squeamish with like mr o'rourke who's the seemingly like really caring teacher yeah i mean she's she's looking for love she's looking for attention yeah i think i think you know all of the above the quote about her is quote she couldn't see herself yeah right so there's so much about identity she she's a caretaker in many ways for her mom pia huh yes yeah and that was how i saw poco um you know she's probably the character that is closest to me you know, um, a a girl who's, you know, has really dynamic energy inside of her. She's feeling all kinds of hormones. She's, she's starting to feel a sense of herself and what she wants out of life, even though it may not necessarily be clear to her. Hmm. And then she's got one, you know, her father who is clearly this charismatic, attractive, compelling presence that Mm -hmm. really does not seem to care about her right and she wants his attention and then she's got her mother pia who yeah is so wounded and so weak um that coco has basically been you know a caregiver um i mean 
Pia is not in that rough a shape, but she's, you know, she's like, they're like sisters. Mm-hmm, and Pia exactly. is the P is the wimpy, like, oh, can you can mm. you make that? You know, she's she's just needs Coco to 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 rule the roost a little bit. And so um the the primary journey that we follow Coco through is a journey I think a lot of girls that age go through, mm-hmm. which is, you know. I'm having all of these feelings. I'm having all of these urges. Um, I'm separating from, you know, my identity from my family or what I'm learning, but I'm Mm -hmm. getting all of these signals from the culture about how to act, but I'm, some of it works for me and some of it I'm feeling like I resist, I'm resisting, but I don't know what to do about that. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's her journey. And so she has several chapters right? and in each chapter, uh, I kind of upped the ante on her getting herself into risky situations <laughs> in her quest for connection, because it's really what it's about, right? Mm-hmm. So when you've got a father, I, and this is not, uh, this was not me, I didn't have this father, but I imagine, right, you have a father who is a is a womanizer like this, um, you know, bringing women to your house, which is something that happens one of the chapters. Yeah. And you're trying to figure out, well, am I pretty? Am I sexy? Am I desirable? And this is what your model for masculinity is and for, mm-hmm. you know, male-female relationships and what's considered attractive. Um, it can be confusing for a girl, especially if she doesn't fit that. Right. And so, um, yeah, but to me, like I said, it's really about connection like you said being seen and Mm. um so i keep uh throwing her out there and getting her into trouble (laughs) as she's that's for sure hopefully learning yeah yeah he uh you know is described as um you know there's a lot of great moments in the book where where especially you know the women will say you know like what what did you see in me like Mm -hmm. how did you see me And, and, and vice versa you know yeah with circus as well like you know and i think of a line from a book about like when Something about when you start thinking about the beginning, you know, it's the end. Yeah. Which I thought mm-hmm. was pretty deep. And, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of just like, what, what was it like? What was it like when you met me? And, yeah. you know, she was a beautiful star for for circuits. I think he truly means it when he says that. Mm-hmm. Pia is speaking about herself and she, she, it's quote, he needed a home, so I made it. Yeah. Uh, you know, she felt like she couldn't live without him. She got pregnant pretty early with, with Coco and it was just... Mm-hmm. You know, she became, like you said, she became uh, not an absolute addict, but, mm-hmm. you know, not able, like you said, summed up very well. She's more of a sister. She's not a yeah, a, a maternal not a parent, right? A parent, right? Yeah. There's a scene towards the beginning, too, where, you know, I mean, Circus is so charismatic. He's so charming. He's making friends. He's making dates. He's making, you know, future mm-hmm. future bed bedmates with, you know, people at bars, of course, but yep. shit on the on the bus, on the subway. Yeah. Odessa becomes uh she's really important especially later in the book but um she man she was involved with a married man who sounds like was killed by her wife by his wife by his wife yeah mm-hmm. and she has this like a what, like a charm or a bracelet or necklace mm-hmm. or something and she's like okay shoot how do I return it to the house yeah yeah and circus is like I'm down and he just he goes yeah. with her and tries to, to make it happen so they can kind of slip it Right. Back into the house and all that. I thought it was just a just on a plot and just writing and and interest level. That was a very interesting scene. Man. Thank you. You, it, you know, it's funny. Um, I've it's been interesting to me as I've talked about this book to 
like sort of make a list of like the the characters that are most interesting to people mm-hmm. you know what i mean and odessa she's like in the middle people don't always bring her up yeah but when they do it's often from from what you're saying and you know i'm proud of that little sort of plot and i have uh-huh. no idea how i came up with it i don't remember <laughs> <laughs> like there, it has nothing to do with my life. I didn't read right. anything about it. I don't know how I came up with it. Um, <laughs> but I, it, I knew that I needed to write, or I felt that I needed to write a chapter that showed circus ch- genuinely charming a woman. Yeah. Right. Like taking a genuine interest in a woman and mm-hmm. really being appealing. Mm-hmm. I think he gen- when he sees her, when he's with her, he genuinely likes her. He's genuinely attracted to her. Um, and 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 his charm is not an act. Mm-hmm. And so I, I felt like it was important, you know, because if you're if you're writing a book like this or presenting a character like this and, you know, there are people who I have talked to who didn't read it or didn't want didn't finish reading it because they just didn't like him and um and I think if you're going to write about a character like this it's got to make sense why women why these women would be so interested in him and so I thought well I need a chapter that shows how he can be Mm -hmm. right um and um and so that's how Odessa came um, mm-hmm. came to being. And again, I don't remember how I came up with that storyline, but mm-hmm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad it came. The book goes on. Circus has obviously been out of Coco's life for so many years. When he, I mean, it's almost like when she, when he has to watch her, she's a chore for him. Mm-hmm. He's always pawning her off on the person next door, you know, right. like, oh, you, you like them, right? Right. And right. you know, poor Coco just feels like a cast off, right? Right. There's a, there's a scene where they, where she goes on vacation with her mom and, and some of the fam- female family members on her mom's side. You know, she explores her sexuality. She's drawn to this, to the boy. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of tension there. There's a really like, I mean, sexual menace of those boys. They're really, yeah. you know, there's not an assault. There's not, but it's very mm-hmm. intimidating Mm-hmm. Um, to say the least right she's kind of shown not in contrast but like maybe in contrast i don't know if you, um, you mm-hmm. know Cressida or Cressida her mm-hmm. cousin Cressida, yeah mm-hmm. she seems to have you know more um, ease with with boys she's older mm-hmm. and while Coco struggles with that more she's just in her own head so much mm-hmm. there's um, one of the characters is Angela she um, you know that's where we see I mean Circus I was really the most mad at Circus one of the most mad um, scenes mm-hmm. was that one where he really, they'd slept together, they'd been together and she comes to see him at the club and he's just, he just puts her down. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's mm-hmm. really brutal towards her, which makes it even worse. When we found out that her, basically her twin, mm-hmm. you write so you write a good soap offers too. Her twin. <laughs> yeah. Basically I like a little trauma. Right? Yeah. 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 Then mm-hmm. her, her twin ended up with her husband, with Angela's husband, right? Or yeah. his boyfriend. And it's funny Ouch. because like about a month ago, I was reading some advice column and, it was so that was my sister is having an affair with my husband and they're about to have a baby and it's like wow so i didn't pull any you know this stuff does Uh happen oh yeah yeah yeah. we talked about the the theme of you know of aging um Mm. with you know panos and the social media there's there's a really cringy and again i mean as a compliment you you feel for circus it's like ah he has this meeting he's so looking forward to you know new york big wig and it just seems like time is passing him by where he, you know, thinks like, hey, I can get a deal. Mm-hmm. I can get a record deal. I can get, you know, sign up with an agent and the whole deal. And he, I, I took it as like Peacock has kind of, Peacock's the older guy. Right. He's, he's the the yeah. money, I guess. Right. And the, the younger guy is, you know, he's like a hipster. 
Mm-hmm. And he's just very dismissive, like, ah, it's not going to work. You don't have it. Yeah. This doesn't yeah. have it, right? Yeah. Then it doesn't work. And, you know, he's obviously, Circus is obviously very, very deflated, to say the least. I thought that Raquel was so well done that she's she's like 50. I think she's 50. Yeah. She and is. I felt like she in some ways served as like almost almost objective measure of circus. They'd been together, but they're still friends. Mm-hmm. Um, she's exploring. I mean, she's you know got a female partner. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much she really was into him. Maybe she was. But mm-hmm. She's just very objective about like, here's what you were like. Here's what you're like now. And kind of gives mm-hmm. them a, a, a barometer. I wonder about the character of Raquel and how she figured into your to your planning? So um, similar to the point about needing to demonstrate what it is about circus that is compelling to women, that he is charming, that he Uh is intelligent, that he is sexy, that he is genuinely interested in women and knows how to convey that in ways that are not only kind of beguiling, but also just genuinely attractive mm-hmm. um it was also important that not all of the women were pining right you know and they weren't all pining at the same level or in the same way that would be hmm. boring right um and so some of the women i mean you've got a range you've got one character who's pretty obsessed right yeah. to the point of not being able to really function you know what I mean? And she's mm-hmm. kind of at the end of her rope there. And Talking then Josephine, got maybe? Josephine, yeah. yeah. And then you've got Maggie, who to me is like, yeah, I like this guy. And oh, now I'm pregnant. Well, I should probably tell him, right? <laughs> she's not necessarily um, as wrapped up in him as, as any mm-hmm. of the other women. And to me, Raquel, and again, I don't want to give too much away, but to yeah. me, Raquel is one of the women who's like, oh, sure. Yeah, come by. You know, it doesn't, mm-hmm. I, I don't have anything else to do. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's have a little fun, you know, in our, the way that we have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, sh- that was, I mean, I mean, again, there were, there were lots of different things I felt I had to do. One piece was, you know, we still need an arc with circus. So how are we serving his arc, which is this whole journey from, you know, is he gonna, is he going to, um step up and and show up for Maggie in this pregnancy mm-hmm. um what's going to happen with with the music um so each one of the women's stories sure did have to sort of push that arc along yeah. but also you know what's their their own story and for me like i said Raquel was one of the women who could take it take him or leave him mm. um <laughs> but i think she still was able to reflect something important about him as a yeah. character um, and about those types of relationships. Right. Um, and I think, you know, her own story of, you know, there is somebody she is pining for um, yeah. and her own inability. And I think this is what you could argue is the emotional reality, the psychological reality for a lot of these characters, which is an inability to some extent to really connect Mm. Um, and to really be vulnerable or show up or do whatever it is you have to do to make the relationships in your life come together. Right. And Raquel is similar 
to circus in that way. But her love, her erotic life is not directed toward him, mm-hmm. but he shows up and she's like, why not? <laughs> There's, as you talk about, there's a lot about the father-daughter relationship. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she, you described him, you know, like you said, I mean, he's a rock star. I mean, literally not a rock star, but, you know, mm-hmm. jazz star, and he's just uh, larger than life. Mm-hmm. She always looked at him as more of like a myth or a legend, not a person, because she right. didn't see him so often, right? Right. She even, um, you know, goes to see Peach. Peach was a kind of a fling for circus. Mm-hmm. She goes to see her um, at the bar, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of like, like, can you tell me about dad? You know, can you mm-hmm. tell me? Like, I don't know a lot about him, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, you talked about cries for help. I mean, the one involving the uh, the 2013 Boston bombing was like, whoa, yeah. mm-hmm. very serious stuff. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, so much in the book about about self-worth, about traumas. Mm-hmm. Um, circus is looking to be loved. And there's, I don't know, two sentence or one sentence part of the book that that is so deep. Um, he talks about, well, the kind of the way my dad recognized me. Circus's dad, the way he recognized mm-hmm. it, he gave me this famous scar on my back with the cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And ideas yeah. of like just taking action to compensate, to compensate for not feeling right or not feeling good about himself, finds women. There's always some action going on. So I wonder about the about that idea of him and looking to be loved. Is that too generous to him? I don't know. No, I think it is. I mean, I think I think that's one way to look at it. I think another way to look at it is that that mechanism is broken. Hmm. You know, the mechanism that, um, and I think men, anybody, you know, of any gender who is like this, this is true, um, that there is a mechanism. I mean, I think I'll rephrase that. Part of my, I think, ability to write him successfully to whatever extent that I did was understanding. I get it. I get if you're an attractive, charismatic guy and women are really making themselves available to you. Mm -hmm. I can understand that it would be challenging to say no and that it would be fun to say yes. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I totally get that. And I don't fault anybody, you know, for for promiscuity mm-hmm. you know what I mean in fact there's a line um that that Maggie says that a lot of people have read back to me you know she says you know basically we're the same the difference is, is that you know I if, if people are going to be in my life I'm gonna show them some respect right mm-hmm. and and he doesn't really do that so I think that there's a part of him that's just sexual and um has options and mm-hmm. uh uh when those options arise uh, enjoys them. Um, he doesn't have the ability though, to, I think in his effort or his desire to keep distance and control over his own life and not get too intimate that he, um, mistreats women. Right. Um, I don't don't think he would see it that way, but I think, you know, you mentioned the scene with Angela, I think one of his reasons that he comes down hard on her for showing up at the bar where he's playing is because it's like this is my space and I didn't invite you into it you don't you don't have the right to do this and you could argue that that's really shitty of him but on the other hand it is also it is his space and she is encroaching right Mm. so um so I I guess I would say that for sure there's a part of him that's that's naturally sexual and if he was a kinder guy, maybe it wouldn't be so bad mm-hmm. that he's he's had so many women in his life. But I do think there's also 
like I said, a, a broken mechanism. And I think, yeah. um, you know, somebody like Peach just thinks he's cute and has an opportunity to hook up with him, hook up with him, and it doesn't mm -hmm. really go well. And um, but I don't think she's got a broken mechanism. You know right. what I mean? I think she's going to be fine afterward, mm -hmm. probably. But mm -hmm. I think some of the other women, yeah, they're at a point where there's something kind of wrong. And the ability to connect, the ability to be intimate, to love, to receive love mm -hmm. um, doesn't really work. And I think that's true of circus. And, yeah. um, you know, I've known a lot of people like this. And mm. um, I think that that's part of what I wanted to explore. And I know, you know, especially at this moment in our culture, that there's not a lot of, um, you know, sympathy for for people like that, which is totally understandable. But as mm -hmm. a writer, if I wanted to write this character, I had to find a way to understand him the way he does. Sure. He doesn't think he's doing anything wrong. He thinks he's being honest, right? Um, mm. I'm, I'm telling you what you what's available. I'm not pushing you. If you mm -hmm. if you're not into what I'm offering, that's cool. Yeah. And I I know <laughs> there are a lot of you know men especially like that like hey i told her that this is yeah. all this far it's gonna go <laughs> and um you know there is some truth to that hmm. you know if he's if he's telling you this is it this is it <laughs> you know and uh and so i think uh but yeah going back to your question for sure there's there's damage in there mm -hmm. um the father i didn't want to have you know th this happens a lot in books like here's the paragraph that explains who he is i don't like that kind of approach to character right. development so just like a couple of drops there's a little bit about the mother a little bit about yes. the father you know even being a dorky kid who played a horn as a kid <laughs> and being awkward and big you know but then growing into somebody handsome that probably has something to do with it hmm. um so there's stuff in there that i think explains you know yeah. why he became who he is Definitely. You mentioned circus, you know, it does seem like she'll be fine. She's a little younger, but you know, right after her, you know, she really does feel gross after the interaction and, you know, she's like, mm -hmm. everything is wrong. There's a really well-written, but tough scene to read about like, you know, misogyny, like at her bar, you know, her mm -hmm. boss and a couple of the, the clients are really, you know, sexually harassing her for sure. Yeah. Um, really sexually expressive or sexually. Yeah. I'm sexually harassing her. And there's yeah. the, there's the kind of the parallel line of, um, Dottie Betgood is this woman they're watching mm -hmm. the news. she's this woman who you know went through a sinkhole in Florida mm -hmm. it's on the news you know at the bar mm -hmm. and the guys are just the guys are horrible the comments they make about right. her and all that and it's just like ugh. Pia talking about her self-worth she talks about hey circus I want more of your world and less of mine mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you get to go out there and be crazy and do all this and see all kinds of people and I'm the one who got you know got stuck is not the word but she does feel yeah. stuck at times with her mm -hmm. life right and yeah, there's just so much in the book about how we recover from our our traumas, music, booze, women, mm -hmm. right? And, and, you know, I think another angle to look at what you're talking about, one of the, this goes back to what we we're talking about, about, you know, why did I want to write this book? Mm. All of these narratives we have about womanizers, playboys, Don Juans, why did I want to write a book and flip the script and focus on the women? And this is exactly why, Right. So the character of Pia, for example, the wife whose ex-wife who's still carrying a torch, you know, is often portrayed as just this pathetic creature who just loves him and is weak. But yeah. Pia's truth is that 
that is true, but it's also true. Like, you know, I thought that this was going to be meaningful. I thought that it would be meaningful to me in my life that I would have a sense of purpose. If I made a home with you, if I made a home with, you know, in the home that I created for you, for us, I would have some sense of purpose. And I, in, in, in sort of helping you achieve your goals, it would be meaningful for me. And she realizes that's not how it turned out, mm. right? Um, for somebody like Peach, um, that character, a woman who's sexy, she's got a great body, she's not necessarily reading Russian literature at home, she's not the mm-hmm. smartest, you know, whatever. Um, are the, that character is often like cast aside, easily dismissible because she's just a bimbo, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we call that character. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to show this is, and I'm so glad that you noticed that, right? She, this is what this woman's life is like. She goes to a bar, you have some slimy dude who comes into the bar all the day just to stare at her. You've mm-hmm. got her boss sexually harassing her. You've got these meathead, at least one meathead guy right. who's trying to show off for her. That's what her life is like, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and I don't want to give away the ending to that story, but part of my goal uh, in in creating that chapter for her was to be able to retrieve that type of character from that narrative, right? Mm-hmm. And and again, like to show that this is what it's like on on this side, right? So your circus, the circus character is casting her aside because he's had what he wants from her and. She's not important to him. This is what that feels like. It's devastating. It's painful. It, you know, she has a moment where she's like, am I just tits and ass? Do I not have anything else to offer? Mm. Right. Um, you know, somebody like Josephine, and I don't, again, want to give that away because it's a very pivotal chapter, but, you know, somebody who is being strung along, that is devastating. It's painful. You know, and so part of the goal in writing the book was, okay, we've heard the story from the guy's perspective. He leaves and goes off into his life and we never know what's happening for her. Mm-hmm. We never know how that really feels. She isn't just yelling and screaming. She isn't just eating ice cream with her girlfriends. There's stuff going on, you know? And so um, that was part of of what I, I wanted to write too. So all these moments that you're-, you're yeah you're pointing out that was part of the goal right this is what these women's lives are with again without giving away the ending you know they're the the scene with josephine is very pivotal um and you know as as he ages as coco ages we we get to know you know about their we get to know more about their relationship um with the ups and downs peaks and valleys he uh really makes an important decision or series of decisions Mm -hmm. um you know, she kind of meets this supposedly, you know, from the outside, it seems like a paragon of truth and, mm-hmm. and wisdom in the uh, the Christian, uh, the Christian guy. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, you know, the ending, Coco gets the last word. We skip mm-hmm. forward three years, you know, from freshman to senior. And um, especially with Pia, you know, she in many ways, she's she finds her truth or is on her way there. Mm-hmm. And what I love so much about this book is you you talk about flipping the script like it's not the usual way that people would usually applaud right mm-hmm. just the, the idea of like really yeah. flipping the script i thought was so interesting there's no there are no easy answers um, yeah. for you as a writer no easy answers for the for the reader yeah. heck of a book um what uh what a read like we talk about there's thank there's you soap opera drama it. there's mm-hmm. cool connections to like kind of recent history 
-hmm. even with like social media and some of the true yeah. historical events, right? Yeah. And, you know, this this dying music genre, there's so many interesting books out there. And this ad is added to the list of like of aging and what happens when mm -hmm. we, you know, ideas of dreams and holding on to them. And then in the end, like you talked about, just connections. Yeah, that was that was part of it. I mean, I'm past 40. And so I know that life doesn't end at 40. Nope. But I think for a lot of people, especially creative people, there is this sense that if you, if it doesn't happen for you, whatever it is by 40, you're in trouble, right? And it hasn't happened for him. And while I don't necessarily think that the 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 crisis for him is about aging, no. I think the I think the the crisis is like oh my God, 40, I'm supposed to do a bunch of stuff now and mm -hmm. things are supposed to be together. Um, I do think it, it plays a big role, right? In, um, you know, it's 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 just like a the ticking time bomb, mm -hmm. you know, it's the it's the tool in fiction of like time is is ticking away, yeah. you know? And even though it's not like literally the bomb going off in the movie, mm -hmm. right? For this character, it's like, wait, I don't have the time to sit around and think about, raising another child and you know i if this is going to happen for me it's going to happen now mm. um and so but yeah i think i think part of it is aging but i also think part of it is just dreams and what the what the sell by date on dreams is mm. and what happens when you think you've reached that date you know yeah. um who who do you become what do you do after 40 especially, you know, and he and I have faith in Circus that he will realize at some point that 40 is not old and he's got plenty of time ahead of him. Um, but I do think before you hit 40, you don't you're just like, oh, shit, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, and so that's why I kind of use that as a as a real engine for him. Well, so again, congratulations on the book. Uh, like I had really high expectations and it definitely were they were exceeded. Tell Thank us, you. tell us, you know, any particular bookstores that you'd you'd recommend we buy it, um, and as well as you know any social media or, or contact info for you. Sure. So um, I love Skylight Books is one of my favorite bookstores. If you're in LA, um, also Octavia's Bookshelf just opened in Pasadena. Right. In Pasadena. So I want to give a shout out there. Um, I was actually going to go today um, for the mm. first time, and I didn't realize that uh, it's closed on Mondays. Ah. Um, and then I am on uh, social media. Uh, my handle is at LK Worrell. And um, I'm on Facebook, but like just for family and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But if you want to stay in contact, uh, Twitter and, and Instagram are, are the places to do that. And that's the handle. Awesome. So two R's and two L's in your last name. That's right? correct. Yeah. W-A-R-R-E-L-L. -L. You can say as little or as much as you'd like uh, about any future projects you might have coming up. So I'm working on a novel. Um, like I said, today I'm pulling my hair out, but um, mm. it's about an affair. So we're going to, we're, we're totally different characters, totally different um, types Okay. Um, there are only two perspectives, only two points of view, mm. as opposed to like 10, yeah. as you said in this first one, but that's what it is. And like I said, today, I feel very, very frustrated by it, mm. but, um, but I think it's, I hope it's going to, uh, stir some emotions and mm. there will be some cringy moments and there will be some moments of transcendence and hope and, and it's complicated and, yeah. 
I really like stories that go there. Mm. You know what I mean? And Mm. really force us to kind of inhabit the realities of our lives and all of their complications. And, and so that's part of what I'm trying to do with this book. So anybody who's read Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm will probably be able to assume that this isn't going to be, you know, light and moralistic and that sort of thing. Um, (laughs) So uh, if I can get through if I can get through the section that's driving me nuts right now, um, that's what will come next. Hmm. Cryptic. I like that. It's about an affair. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, yeah, we we definitely feel close to the characters. We we enjoy the characters. We want to know the characters. We we hate the characters. We love the characters. You know, all the mm-hmm. all the stuff that makes great books. Yeah. You know, the book is always better than the movie. The book mm-hmm. is always better than the TV so- series. But any idea who would play circus if this were to be a movie that's thought- a really good question people have asked me um i don't know i think uh i don't know how hollywood works even though i live in la um i have no idea how it works and i think one of the challenges would be it would have to be an actor who doesn't mind so first of all he'd have to be charismatic and attractive in the yeah. way circuses um but he'd have to be somebody who doesn't mind not being that you know th- this isn't about you mm. right it's a, it's about the women um but he's also a challenging character right he's like i said i've had people say i hate this guy mm. you know what i mean so it would have to be an actor who is charismatic and can play like a, a guy with as big and strong an ego as mm-hmm. a circus but also someone who's willing to defer to the female actors yeah, and those yeah. storylines but also doesn't have a problem playing a character who not everybody's going to love. Hmm. So I don't know. I mean, <laughs> so somebody around 40, mid thirties, forties. Um, It'd be a good problem to have, right? Problem in quotes, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the people that I think of are like, they might be two biggest stars. The uh, other thing is that um, in the book, circus is kind of racially ambiguous. Hmm. Um, he kind of uses that. Uh, but uh, I get the sense that they probably would let that go if they turned it into a show or uh, a movie. Um, so I don't know. Mm. Um, I was going to say Jonathan Majors, uh, but I don't know where we what's going on with him right now. I know that at one yeah. point um, when I would have conversations um, about this, people were like, oh, what about Jonathan Majors? And I, you know, I liked that idea. But unfortunately, I think we're in a different um reality now yeah if we were talking four or five months ago right it would have been yeah a story. but um but yeah somebody who has that kind of intensity and mm-hmm. charisma and complexity um i think i'm unfortunately like i'm i feel this way uh like popular culture right now i'm just kind of i've aged out of it like who's that hey. what show is it are they on Und- so, understood understood yeah so i don't know hey. i don't know anybody anymore <laughs> Well, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for yeah, you too. Uh, thanks for writing this dang good book. Great book. Thank People you. listening, got to get it. You know, we'll be I'll be sharing on the episode notes all the links to buy it and you know some really cool LA Times articles and and reviews. Congratulations! Thank um, you again. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and thanks for your 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 reflection on such a great book. Well, and thank you very much for reading it, and all of the nice things that you've said about it really warms my heart. I mean, this is 
it's fun interviewing and, you know, doing all the fun stuff and going to festivals, but I really like talking to people who've read the book and who've appreciated it and see what I'm trying to do. And uh, so it means a lot. So thank you. Thanks so much. What a pleasure it's been today to speak to Laura Worrell. Continue good luck to her with her writing. So looking forward to continue to follow her career and her important work. You can now subscribe to the Chills of Will podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave a five-star review. You can ask for it by name using Alexa. Find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram while you're out there checking out Laura, where I'm I'm at Chills at Will Podcast, or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will PO1, the digit one. You can watch this and other episodes on YouTube, the Chills at Will Podcast channel. Sign up now for the Chills at Will Podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. My last name is R-I-E-H-L. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content. The intro song for the Chills Well podcast is Wind Down Instrumental. The other song on the episode is Hoops by Matt Whitehour. Both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 178 with Stephen Borough. Stephen Borough was born in Nigeria in 1993, and at the University of East Anglia in the UK, he was a 2018 recipient of the Booker Prize Foundation Scholarship. He has a first-class degree in mathematics and is currently studying for a PhD in creative critical writing at UEA on a fully funded studentship. His book, Andy Africa and the Five Sorrowful Mysteries, is bound to be a sensation. And my interview with him regarding the book is forthcoming in Chicago Review of Books. That episode airs on April 18th, which is a pub day for Andy Africa and the Five Sorrowful Mysteries. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills like Laura Worrell, whose work, like Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm, gives you chills at will. Mm-hmm.